Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Topical with your host, Michael Schaefer. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode and apologies. I'm currently very jet lagged. I just flew back from uh, Melbourne to London, my adopted home, two days ago. Don't know what time it is, but we've got to get a podcast out because there's a lot going on. Before we get into what's happening in the world, it's mostly war, but before we get into all the war... Let's mention some shows that are coming up. I've got a show in London on the 6th of December at Top Secret Comedy. That's very exciting. It's just a pound for a ticket. You can reserve a ticket for one pound. That show is going to ruin me financially. So if you want to come along for a pound, get to my website, michaelschafer.com. I've also got a show in Munich on the 30th of November, which is my birthday And I'm celebrating it with the good people of Germany on November the 30th in Munich. Very excited for that show. I'm excited to go to a country... I'm excited to go to Germany, first of all, because they uh, love the Jews, right? They didn't always, but now they really love the Jews. They've really come round on us. They kind of have to because of everything that happened. In fact, when Israel was attacked by Hamas on the 7th of October, a lot of countries around the world were lighting up their monuments blue and white. And of course, in Berlin, they lit up the Brandenburg Gate, the very famous Brandenburg Gate, blue and white to show solidarity with the people of Israel. And saying that, it was really the only time that I've ever wished that Hitler was still alive. Because there are those conspiracies that float around that Hitler didn't actually kill himself. That he was smuggled outside of Germany with the help of the Catholic Church. And he managed to make his way down to South America along with a lot of other Nazis like Adolf Eichmann and so forth. And, and thus managed to escape justice. Now that's obviously a very upsetting conspiracy theory if you believe it. But imagine Hitler... Waking up one morning in Buenos Aires, turning on the news and seeing uh, his beloved Brandenburg Gate lit up blue and white. I mean, that alone would make him wish he had killed himself in the bunker all those years ago. So I'm excited to perform in Germany, a place that is a country that is far too involved in the creation of the state of Israel to kind of weigh into things right now. Germany has cleverly remained silent on the topic of the Israel-Hamas war. They really haven't got involved too much, other than lighting up the Brandenburg Gate, which was a nice gesture. They haven't really done too much on a global scale. Like, a lot of countries right now are having votes in their parliament about whether or not Israel should agree to a ceasefire. In Australia right now, they're having a vote... In the UK, they're having a vote. A lot of countries are voting on whether or not Israel should have a ceasefire. I don't really know if that's going to make any difference at all to how Israel proceeds. I, I mean, particularly Australia. I just don't think that Bibi Netanyahu really gives a shit about what some green senators in Australia think. So I don't know how much these votes are going to impact the way that Israel conducts itself over the coming weeks and months. Germany, of course, has 
remain silent on the ceasefire issue, which is kind of for the best because they can't really come out and, and, and take a stance on the conflict really because they're just... I mean, if it weren't for Germany, Israel wouldn't exist. Like if it weren't... Say what you will about the Nazis. And I know that, you know, as a Jewish person, I'm not really meant to... Uh, compliment is too nice a word, but I'm not really meant to show any gratitude towards the Nazis. But without the Nazis, there would be no Israel. Because if you know the history of the creation of the state of Israel, after World War II, when the Jews kind of had a rough time of things, my family in particular, real rough time, after the Jews had a rough time in World War II, the United Nations were like, you know what? We feel bad about the fact that we kind of let you guys down. Sorry for not bombing the tracks to Auschwitz, even though we knew what was going on and we could have saved tens of thousands of lives by delaying the mass extermination project the Nazis were undertaking. Sorry about all that. By way of apology, please accept this uh, new country called Israel. And we hope that that now kind of evens things out. So basically because of the Nazis, Israel exists. And that's why we're in the current predicament that we find ourselves in. It all really comes back to the Nazis. People are blaming the British because the British were the ones who came up with the partition uh, in 1947 that established the state of Israel and the state of Palestine. But really, it's the Nazis that we that we have to blame. So I guess another reason to dislike the Nazis is that they, they have created this instability that ensues. And that's why the Germans to this day are like, you know what, we're just going to kind of, we're going to kind of not comment on how things are going right now because we're too closely connected to it. It's fascinating when you look at how the state of Israel was created was because Israel wasn't originally offered to the Jewish people. They were also offered like a 6,000 square mile area in Uganda. So they gave us some part of Uganda. That's what the British were like, just shopping around. Like the Jews were basically like, we were like, we want Israel. And the British were like, how about Uganda? And they were like, well, that's not, I don't think Uganda is in the Bible. We kind of want to go to Israel because that's what the Bible says we have to do. So Uganda, I don't think Uganda gets a, gets a mention at all in the Bible. And then the British were like, okay, well, if you can't have, if you're not keen on Uganda, uh, we got the next best thing. Uh, what about Western Australia? So the Kimberley region, which is in like rural WA, was an idea for a Jewish state. They were like, Jews, would you, how would you like to go to Australia? It's a very sparsely populated place. You could have a lot of land in the Kimberley region in Western Australia. And of course, the Jews, again, turned that down because I don't think there was anything in the Bible about God promising Moses the Kimberleys. I don't think Moses led the people out of Egypt across the Red Sea to the Kimberleys. He, the plan was to go to, to Israel. Mind you, given that God was capable of parting oceans at the time, I don't know why. That, they could have walked from Egypt to Western Australia I mean, they wandered around for 40 years anyway trying to find Israel, which was really like a three-day walk. But because Jews are very bad at like agreeing on what to do, they ended up just going in like, you know, every different direction and wandered around for 40 years before they got to Israel. Had they just made a beeline from Egypt to Western Australia through the Indian Ocean and God parted it for them, 
probably within a couple of months, they would have been established in, in Western Australia and ready to roll. Nonetheless, Western Australia was never mentioned in the Bible, so the Jews didn't take it. It's a shame they didn't take Western Australia because, uh, as we now know, you know, Western Australia has got a huge mining boom. So, I mean, if you're not from Australia and you don't understand where, why Australia is not a third world country, it's mostly because in Western Australia, which is the largest state, uh, it's just full of copper and iron and we use that to make steel and we export that to China and we give China the means that they need in order to invade Taiwan. So the reason why Australia is quite a wealthy country is because we have all these minerals in Western Australia. It's a real shame that the Jews didn't settle on the Kimberleys. I mean, first of all, it probably would have avoided the current war that we're in. It would have avoided this war between Israel and Hamas. And on top of that, the Jews would have been presumably sitting atop of this incredibly mineral-rich land. And honestly, they could have made some good money out of it. Instead, they chose Israel, which is like the only land of the Middle East that doesn't have oil. I mean, that's so unlucky to be in the Middle East and not have oil. I mean, Israel, I've been to Israel. They don't have anything. Like they, they've got a big tech industry, but they're not digging shit out of the ground. Being able to dig stuff out of the ground and sell it to other countries, it's so helpful. It's so handy. I mean, Saudi Arabia only exists because they can dig oil out of the ground. I mean, I can't believe the Jews made such a bad financial... It's the worst financial decision a Jew has ever made. It really is... It's unbelievable to think that they could have gone to WA and they could have been sitting atop of some iron ore. They could have been richer than Gina Reinhart. They could have been Gina Reinhart. And instead they chose this oil-depleted land next to Jordan and on the Mediterranean Ocean. Terrible choice. Terrible choice. Is that a solution? If we said to the Jews now, if we said to the people of Israel now, hey, I know you guys are kind of settled in now and you've been here for a while. So you've been here since 1948, it's been 75 years. I get that this is your home now. But what about the Kimberleys? Would you like to go there? Lots of iron ore. You can live in peace and prosperity. Is that a solution? Could we give that to the Palestinians? Will someone take the Kimberleys? Is basically what I'm trying to say here. Someone. If they don't take it, it's going to be China's within 10 years. So someone take the Kimberleys. But the war rages on. People are dying. The Western world, we want to feel like we're doing something. You know, whether you support Israel, whether you support Palestine, you want to feel like you're doing something. And that's why, particularly amongst the Palestinian movement, the pro-Palestinian movement, there is a huge boycott movement taking place. The Boycott Divestment Sanction Group, the BDS group, has really... They've been around for quite a while, and now they've really won a lot of support in the last month or so, and people are now really getting on board with this whole idea of boycotting Israeli products. I will say the whole boycotting Israeli products has been around for a very long time, I remember this would have been like 10, 15 years ago. There's a, there was a chocolate shop in Melbourne, Australia called Max Brenner. I don't think they exist anymore, but they were kind of like a pretty popular 
chocolate dessert shop, like on par with like Lynn chocolate and Gylian chocolate and all that stuff. And, but they're like owned by an Israeli company, I believe. And so I remember years ago seeing people protesting outside of Max Brenner and, you know, shaming people who went in to get a chocolate souffle at Max Brenner. I've always found that strange because I just feel like, I feel like we could leave chocolate out of things. I, I feel like chocolate should be apolitical. It should be, we should just be like, look, like, I don't know. I, I just, I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if going to Max Brenner was really contributing to the deaths of Palestinian people and the dispossession of their land. It just seems strange to go after a chocolate shop. I think maybe that's why the Swiss have always remained neutral in all their wars. I presume it's because so much of their economy is dependent upon chocolate that if they were to ever weigh into a war and leave themselves vulnerable to a boycott of their chocolate products, the whole economy would come falling down. Of course, that's, that's a joke because their economy is actually predicated on stolen gold that they took from the Jews during World War II. But setting aside the reality, it is funny to imagine the entire Swiss economy falling apart because people decided to boycott lint. But I understand the idea of boycotting products. I feel like, as a Jewish person, I relate to that idea because growing up, I was always told by like my parents that I could never have a German car. Specifically, like cars were big in my family because you know my you know my grandparents are Holocaust survivors. So the idea of supporting Germany in any way was a big no-no in my family. I remember mum always telling me, Michael, you can never have a German car. You can never drive because I was thinking about getting like a Volkswagen at some point. And my first car, in fact, was a Toyota, a Japanese car, which I think does point out a bit of hypocrisy in the whole "Who are we going to boycott?" scenario because my parents were like you can't buy a german car because then you're supporting what the germans did in world war ii but they let me buy a japanese car and i'm not sure how much you know about the history of world war ii but the japanese kind of were pretty uh chummy with the nazis and also did lots of war crimes they raped nanking they committed Awful atrocities against Australian POWs in Changi and Singapore. Did some awful shit, but my parents were like, you can, that's okay. That's fine. They didn't do it to us. They did that shit to the Australians and that's not our beef. So you can have your Toyota, but you cannot have a German car. You cannot have a German car. No Volkswagen, no Audi, no BMW, which is very upsetting because the Germans do make the best cars. It is upsetting that a core principle of mine is that I can't drive a German car and they are the best cars. It, it is a frustrating thing that it was the Germans who committed the Holocaust because it would be nice to be able to just drive a Volkswagen without feeling the guilt. Sometimes I wish like maybe that the, I wish the French had done the Holocaust. I mean, obviously it's bad the Holocaust happened, but it's strange I have to say that, but at least if like the French had done the Holocaust... I wouldn't feel like I'm missing out on not driving a French car. I don't think anyone's been like, oh, I've got to have that Peugeot. Oh, I've got to have that, that French-made Peugeot. That's the, 
car that I need to get me from A to B. So I've never been able to drive a German car because of the family pressure. Mum always said to me, Michael, if you drive a German car, then Hitler wins. That was literally the phrasing that she would use. Hitler wins. I mean, I don't think... I think he's lost by now. I think he's lost by now. Either because he's... I think if you kill yourself in a bunker, I think you take the L. I think that's a loss. You can't really come back from that. That's a loss. I think even if I... If Hitler kills himself in 1945 and I drive a Volkswagen in 2023, I still I still consider that... I If anything, I think Hitler would be upset to see a Jew driving a Volkswagen. Because the whole point of the Volkswagen was like it was... The people's car, it was meant to be symbolic of the Nazi regime and Nazi manufacturing. So to have a Jew driving a Volkswagen would be quite disrespectful, I think, to to Hitler. So I guess what I'm saying is if you're a a Jewish person and you really want to upset Hitler and the Nazis as much as possible, only use German products. Drive a Volkswagen. Purchase a Bosch. Only wear Hugo Boss. You're going to look good. Your clothes are going to be clean. And you're going to be driving in a very, very smooth, beautiful German car. So I do understand the boycotts. I understand where it comes from. It's not all particularly logical, but I understand the desire to be trying to help. So I understand why people, you know, if you think that Israel is committing war crimes, committing acts of cruelty, I can see why you'd want to be like, well, what can I do in my personal life to help? So I'm going to boycott some products. I did see the list of products that are being boycotted and some of them I was shocked to see on the list because they sounded more like just dietary advice more than ethical advice. Some of the companies on this list of to be boycotted included there was McDonald's, there was Burger King, there was uh, Pizza Hut, Coca-Cola. I think you should boycott these products anyway if you just don't want to get diabetes or suffer a heart attack when when you're 35. I don't know who put the boycott together. It wouldn't shock me if some dietitians were consulted by the boycotters. If the boycotters were like, hey, we want to, you know, obviously not support Israel's actions, but also we would like to get ready for summer. So, dietitians, which which are the best companies to boycott? They were like, well, let's get rid of all of these trans fats. We don't need these in our diet. Honestly, if you're if you're supporting Palestine right now, it's a great way to get in shape because, firstly, you are not eating macas, you're not eating Burger King, you're not eating the Pizza Hut, you're not drinking Coca Cola. So that's great. So your your diet is pretty solid you're mostly just kind of cooking at home and eating your vegetables and your and your fruits that's that's great and also you're marching all the time there's a palestinian march like every week thousands of people are attending these things hundreds of thousands of people are attending them around the world so you're getting your steps in as well maybe that should be part of the the recruitment campaign for the pro-palestinian movement to be like hey look you might not have a strong stance on what's going on in the Middle East right now, but summer's coming up and everyone wants to look good on the beach. And when people say, hey, how did you get shredded? You could be like, I supported the liberation of the Palestinian people. 
So I think that's just something that gets people on board with the cause. If you, I mean, people like to, people aren't altruistic, I think is my perception of these things. Uh, I don't think people join causes purely out of altruism. I think we saw that a lot during the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, like a lot of white people, for example, were immediately you know, posting black squares on Instagram and immediately identifying themselves as allies. And they're like, oh, we, we support black people. And sure, I don't have any black friends, but I enjoy rap music. So I'm an ally. But a lot of these white folk, they, they joined the Black Lives Matter movement. Mostly, it wasn't really altruistic. They, they just wanted to kind of get the photos on Instagram. They wanted to signal to other people they were, that they were good. So I think that when you want to get people on board with the cause, you've got to, there's got to be something in it for them. I think with the Black Lives Matter movement, they managed to get a lot of guilty white people on board because... They were able to post photos of themselves at the march, you know, doing the black power stance. And all of a sudden, no one was going to accuse them of being racist. And equally, here with the pro-Palestinian movement, I think they've done a great job being like, hey, join the movement. And, you know, it's basically, you don't have, you don't have to join Jenny Craig. Like, join us. This is free. You'll be held accountable on your diet. You're not going to be allowed to have fast food. And you're going to be getting 10,000 steps in every weekend because we're going to be marching. I think it's a I think it's a smart recruitment policy. And maybe that's why the Jewish people are lacking in support because if, when I go online and when I see the pro I mean people are protesting in support of Palestine, very few people protesting in support of Israel. I think that kind of makes sense when you just think of like there is clearly a power imbalance between Israel and Palestine. So Israel is the state with the advanced military, with the weapons, with the money coming in from the West. So I guess you don't really need to conduct rallies in support of Israel, other than, of course, you know, calling for the hostages to be released and things like that. So I guess it makes sense that the Palestinian people have more support just because, you know, right now they're the ones kind of being bombed and thousands of children being killed. So it makes sense that right now, of course, the sympathy lies for them but the whole appeal of getting shredded for summer i think is really what's getting the uh the neutral white folk on board with the cause as well i do like the idea of a boycott i'm not against boycotts i think they make sense i think they can actually exact pressure on awful institutions to change their ways or governments to change their policies i think they can work I just think that inevitably you become hypocritical when you choose to boycott a product because all products somehow contribute to cruelty in some form or another. All products, everything you have that's nice, you have because someone else suffered. That's sadly the way that the world works that's pretty much what capitalism is that's what consumerism is if you're enjoying something uh, someone else suffered and the more you're enjoying something the more someone else suffered you know, people are sharing the need to boycott israeli products on their iphones and 
I don't think I need to point out the hypocrisy of that, but I will nonetheless, just to make it clear. An iPhone is an incredible, incredible device. It's like a, it's a supercomputer that you just hold in your hand. It gives you access to all of the world's knowledge, and you can also play Candy Crush on it. You can do lots of things with an iPhone. It's one of the most incredible inventions of all time. And the reason why we have them is because children, often in China and Bangladesh, are being kept in sweatshops and being forced to make them with their their little hands where they can get the little microchips in there and they can put them together and they don't get paid much and the windows are closed and the suicide nets are out outside the building so there's no escape. That's how we have iPhones. So an iPhone is a product. It's so good. It's so good. And it's so uh, critical to our lives. And you couldn't function without one. And the only reason we have them is because children are being exploited in other countries. Because if you think about how much an iPhone costs, it means like a thousand dollars if you go to an apple store cheaper if you buy it online but let's say you're spending a thousand dollars for the most this most incredible piece of technology like an iphone if it were made without cruelty an iphone would should retail for about a million dollars but we've decided as a society okay well you know we want to make these things accessible we want everyone to have one i mean you see homeless people with iphones that's how accessible an iphone is that People don't have homes, but they they have supercomputers and they're taking payments on their phone. You donate to them on their phone. That's how accessible the iPhone is. We've made it so accessible that even if you've lost everything, you still often have an iPhone. These products should be worth a million dollars. Instead, they retail for about a thousand dollars. And and of course, how do you get the price down? Well, you you're gonna have to. Uh, for some children to work 80-hour weeks. Now, as a society, we all know this is true, and we accept that that is the sacrifice that they have to make so that we can write mean YouTube comments YouTube comments while we're taking a shit. And I'm sure the children in China, if they knew that that's what we were using the phones for, I think they'd be okay with it. I think they said, look, I know kids, guys, Huang, I know that you're not enjoying your job. I know that your fingers are blistered and it's you've been working 18-hour days now since you were uh, six months old. I know that's not a great existence, but please know that your sacrifice and your work is really going to a good cause because you know the app TikTok, the one that your government made? Well, there are children in other countries who are using the very phone you're making right now uh, to upload videos of themselves dancing on, on TikTok. And sometimes people will like, usually pedophiles will, will like the videos and they, they use TikTok as a way of finding children to molest. So I hope you know that the uh, work and sacrifice and, and the toil that you undertake is not going unnoticed. It's not going unnoticed. And thanks to you, uh, homeless people have iPhones in the West and also uh, children are being uh, recorded and uploaded to the internet where uh, their, f- their facial likenesses will be stored on a Chinese database 
for when World War III comes along. So that psychological warfare can be can be waged against the West. I guess my point is, all products have cruelty somewhere along the way in built into them. So if you want to boycott a product, you want to boycott Max Brenner, you want to boycott a product that Israel makes, go for it. I, un- I understand that. But you're just inevitably going to be hypocritical when you're sharing this on an iPhone, when you're posting about it on TikTok. Every product we have somewhere along the way, someone is being taken advantage of. So it's nice to want to correct the injustice in the world. It's just kind of impossible to really to really do it. I have seen though some really awful scenes back in my hometown of Melbourne, a burger shop called Burgatory in uh, the suburb of Caulfield, which is a very Jewish suburb. This burger shop was burned down and the police investigated and have concluded that it was suspicious. They believe it was arson. In fact, I think CCTV footage has been leaked online showing that it was an arson attack. And there is speculation that the arson was politically motivated. There is speculation online that the CEO and founder of Burgatory, a guy called Tash, who is proudly and publicly supportive of the Palestinian movement, it is suspected online, or there's there's rumors flying around, that the store was burned down by people who support Israel because of their CEO and founder's comments uh, supporting the Palestinian movement. Now, I don't want to feed into the rumors. I don't want to feed into the rumors because the police have come out and said, we don't know if this is politically motivated. We have no reason to think it is. And of course, speculation has, has just gone rife online that it was. And and after after that happened, you know, a lot of, there was some really ugly scenes in my hometown, in my local suburb of Caulfield, of pro-Palestinian supporters, pro-Israel supporters, kind of, screaming at each other, yelling at each other, trying to getting into scuffles with each other. Really grim stuff. Really, really awful stuff to see. I'm going to proceed to talk about this, assuming that the arson was motivated by the Israel-Palestine conflict. I don't know if that's true, but I'm going to proceed as if it is, okay? And if it is, please stop burning down good burger stores. If, if you burn down the burger store because the owner supports Palestine, please don't do that again. Stop that. There are so few good burger stores. So few. Burgatory is one of them. There are so many burger chains now where you walk in and it's all like some annoying, it's it's rap hip-hop themed. It's like, oh, we've got the puff daddy burger we got the p diddy bacon and egg and they charge like 25 dollars for a burger with a patty that's 125 grams so you're gonna have to eat three burgers just to fill up there are so many exploitative bad burger joints out there which are not feeding you properly serving you shitty produce there's so many bad ones now burgatory I think is one of the good ones. I've eaten at a lot of burger chains in my life. Big fan of burgers. And I've frequented Burgatory quite regularly, um, particularly the one in Paran on Chapel Street in Melbourne because it's open late. 
There's very few good, like, good burger chains that are open late. I mean, there's obviously McDonald's, but that's dog shit. And you, you really have to be drunk to be enjoying a McDonald's burger. And by the way, just going back to McDonald's being part of the BDS boycott, I don't think anyone who... I, I understand boycotting stuff, but don't judge people who don't participate in the boycott. You can't judge people who eat McDonald's still, despite the fact that McDonald's might be tangentially supporting Israel by having businesses there. You can't judge people who eat at McDonald's because you can't politicize everything. People don't go to McDonald's at 3am on a Sunday for political reasons because they're Zionists. People go to McDonald's at 3am on a Sunday uh, because they couldn't find anyone to go home with at the club. And instead of having sex, they have decided to have a quarter pounder. Which, let's be honest, is sometimes uh, more satisfying. My point being is that please don't judge people who eat at McDonald's. They're often at their lowest point. They're often at breaking point. They're not there because they're taking a stance in the Middle East. They're there because they're sad and depressed and they're lonely. Leave them alone. Back to Burgatory. Please don't burn down good burger stores. If you want to go and burn down some bad burger stores, whether it's political or not, I support that. If you want to burn down Grilled, go for it. I think Grilled is shit. It's overpriced. They don't pay their workers. I don't like the vibe. They claim that they're healthy burgers, but they're not. They're the same as every other burger. You smother everything in cheese and aioli. They pretend that they are something they are not. If you want to burn down Grilled, you have my full support. You have my full support. I don't know if they're Zionists. I don't know if they're pro-Palestinian. I don't know. Burn it down. I think the employees who work at Grilled will help. The people, the the 14-year-old the working at Grilled, who was getting paid $7.50 an hour, which is definitely illegal. I reckon if you walked into your local Grilled and said, hey, I'd like to burn this place to the ground, the teenager at the counter would say, thank God, we've been waiting for this very, very moment. Uh, I hate this place. I hate this franchise. I hate my boss. Let's do it. Please don't burn down good burger stores. Burgatory is a good store. And I'm not saying I support the CEO or the founder. I support his right to believe and say whatever he wants. Go for it. You're allowed to have any belief you want and still not have your place of business burned down. I will say this, by the way, if you want to do an insurance job, this is a great time to do it. I'm not saying this was an insurance job. I don't want to speculate about who did the fire and what the causes were. But if you want to burn down a business right now and have no suspicions that you did it yourself with insurance money, I would say go online and make a public post supporting either Israel or Palestine. You do that for a couple of weeks, you go really hard on it. You're like, hey, I support the Zionists and they should kill all the Palestinians. Or you go on Facebook and you say, I support Hamas. I'm pro-Hamas. I love the terrorists. I love hummus. I love Hamas. I love it all. Do that for a couple of weeks. 
and then you'll get inevitably a lot of death threats, a lot of hate mail will be sent to you, and then there'll be and then you and then what you do is burn down your home, your your business, blow up your car, just destroy something that's insured for the insurance money, because when the police investigate, you can say to them, "Oh, I've got so much. Look at all the suspects. Look at all the death threats, the hate mail that I've received over the past few weeks. Clearly." This was a politically motivated uh, fire and it certainly wasn't done by me even though uh, my fingertips are singed and I smell like gasoline. I know that's suspicious, but let's just ignore that for a second and go to the, the hate mail I've received online. So I just think that if you do want to burn something down, if you've always wanted to burn something down for the insurance money, you got to, you, this is your, your opportunity. People have absolutely lost their minds. People are sending death threats. People are sending, uh, people are protesting outside businesses that take a stance on Israel and Palestine. People have lost their minds. There's a lot of insanity out there. There are a lot of death threats out there. If you want to cultivate some online hatred as a cover for when you inevitably burn down your place of business, Fuck, it's a golden age for that. I'm not saying that's what Burgatory did. I'm not saying that's what this guy did because that would be uh, defamatory and liable. This is a satirical comedy podcast. I'm not saying that's what they did. I'm just saying that if they could have done that, I'm just saying that would actually be fucking smart. That would be smart. I might do that. I might. I've got a car... I've got a Toyota at home that I don't drive anymore and it is insured. I'd like it to be blown up, but I don't want to be a suspect. Okay. I'm going to... Okay, I support... Uh, guys, I haven't really taken a stance in this podcast in the last few weeks on, on the, you know, on the wall, but I'm going to come out and uh and take a stance and i'm gonna i'm gonna get death threats for this i'm gonna get death threats people are gonna hate this people are gonna write to me they're gonna say michael fuck you man you're a piece of shit i hate you i hope that someone blows up your beloved toyota corolla i hope someone blows it up i hope someone destroys it and burns it to the goddamn ground so i'm gonna come out and say this um i'm i've joined hamas and look, I weighed up the pros and the cons, you know, in the conflict. And I just thought, look, Hamas, I think that they right now, you know, they need the support. They need the support now more than ever. They've lost a lot of people. You know, they've been bombed quite bad. And look, they're, Hamas is, you know, it's, they're kind of look. They're kind of look. They are just ISIS in Palestine, and hey, ISIS. You know, say what you will about ISIS, but you know they were passionate, passionate people, and you got to respect people who are passionate and who believe in a cause. My point being is, look, I know that being uh, pro Hamas and and having joined Hamas is probably going to lead to um, some death threats, to some threats of violence. Some people are going to want to um, destroy personal property of mine, perhaps even my 2007 Toyota Corolla that is insured for a couple thousand dollars. 
that you could just find. Um, I probably shouldn't say my address, but you could find it if you wanted to find it. You could, you could, you could just, you could find it on the streets. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pro Hamas. Um, I want to make that really clear. There's not a bit. And look, if you, if that upsets you, and you want to get revenge against me, don't you dare target my beloved Toyota Corolla. That is my pride and joy. And I, I don't know what I'd do without it. If someone were to destroy it, I don't know what I would do. I would lodge an insurance claim for a few thousand dollars. And that might be handy because rent in London right now is quite expensive. And it might help me get through to January. But I don't, don't be distracted by, by the financial realities that I exist in. I'm pro Hamas. And if you could start sending through some death threats, specific, if someone could write me a threat specifically stating that you're going to blow up my car, that'll be really handy for me in the unlikely event that that does happen over the coming weeks. Please stop burning down uh, burger stores, particularly the good ones. Uh, please target the shit ones. Grilled. Nando's. Go after Nando's. No one gives a shit about Yeah, a Porto. These are the places to target. Leave Burgatory alone. One last quick little thing that I have to... Just a little story I just want to touch on before I let you guys go. The Mushroom Killer. Do you remember the lady, Erin Patterson? She was a lady who a couple months ago poisoned her family. She poisoned to death her, I believe, ex-husband's parents and ex-husband's sister or auntie. She killed three people, had them over, had her husband's family, her ex-husband's family over for lunch, put some poison mushrooms in their um, meat pie, and they died. And she very conveniently uh, did not eat the mushrooms herself because she said they were a special delicacy for her beloved mother and father-in-law who, of course, we all have wonderful relationships with our mothers and fathers-in-law. None of us have ever fantasized about murdering them. Well, this lady, she's, she's been charged. She's going to go on trial. And what I found fascinating is that she is selling her home, presumably because she needs to cover her legal costs. She's selling her home, and that'd be a great place to live, I think. It would be nice to own a piece of property that is so now entrenched in Australian history. I mean, that would be like owning the dingo that ate the baby. That's a good investment. Buy that property because, you know, when she gets convicted, the interest in that property is going to skyrocket. You, If you bought that property now, you know, when she gets convicted and that, and she, and that story's in the paper, there'll be a lot of more interest in in that property, the value will skyrocket. There's a lot of selling points to that property. I mean, obviously, the the kitchen and living room, presumably, are a wonderful place to to entertain. A wonderful place to have people over. You have the family over. You look. I mean, you see photos of the kitchen. Go online. You can see the listing online. It's wonderful. You go on. You see the kitchen, and it's a wonderful place to have people over. 
you can sit them down at the at the table and you can prepare you, you can prepare them a beautiful hearty meal in this in this kitchen i i think it's a good investment i'd probably do a deep clean before i moved in i wouldn't like walk in and you know lick the kitchen benches in case there were traces of poisonous mushroom but i think after a deep clean it could be a wonderful place to to have people over you could uh serve them dinner i think that it's a good place to purchase and hey if it doesn't if it financially doesn't work out for you just go come out online as being supportive of palestine uh, and then burn to the ground for the insurance money either way it's going to be a good financial investment thank you for listening to this uh week's episode i hope you enjoyed it Feel free to come and see me live when I'm performing in your cities if you're in London or Munich. Those shows are on sale. I'll be in Perth and Fremantle in January. And then, very excitingly, I will be back in Melbourne for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival in March and April. That will be announced online shortly. I'm very excited to come back to Melbourne. Hopefully, the race war has fizzled out by then. We can only hope. Please don't burn down any more stores in the meantime. Uh, And please, everyone, relax. Good night. I'll see you next week.